Christ would say, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And we're many more than two and we've gathered in Yogananda's name for this book. So um, we're on chapter three uh, with the saint with two bodies. <laughs> so we've gotten to the point where Yogananda arrives at Banaras in Varanasi, uh, meets Swami Pranabhananda. He has in his hand the letter that his father wrote with, you know, the instructions, what he would like Swami Pranavananda to help him with, to introduce him as my son. And of course, Swamiji doesn't need that. He instantly knows who Yogananda is or Mukanda. And he knows exactly why he's here, looking for a gentleman named Kedarnath Babu. So there they were and uh, Swami Pranabhananda has just explained to Yogananda his two pensions. One pension that he's receiving from his government job that he held with Yogananda's father in fact. And the other he's receiving from God in terms of bliss and uh, the need for that second. Now what once Yogananda essentially tells him this is why I'm here, he expects the saint to do something. But the saint just closes his eyes and withdraws into silence and just sits there in silence for 30 minutes. For 30 minutes. And Yogananda is kind of like, you know, <laughs> I don't know if he had a watch or not, but he says he was pretty much getting a trifle restless. We're on page 23. Um, uh, if you have this particular edition, that's where we are. This is the second page of the third chapter. And he says, a trifle restlessly, I looked about me in the bare room, empty except for us two. And so he's just there, he's waiting for this saint to do something, to act on uh, the reason why he's here. And then suddenly the saint opens his eyes and says, little sir, don't get worried. The man you wish to see will be with you in half an hour. The yogi was reading my mind, a feat not too difficult at the moment. So he didn't need his yogic powers to know what was going on in Yogananda's mind. And then once again, he just goes back into that silence. Now, what happens suddenly is that um, Yogananda hears footsteps coming up after half an hour. And uh, the yogi says to him, Pranabhananda says to him, you know, Kedarnath Babu is here. And Yogananda says, that's no way, how did he know that uh, I was waiting for him? So he goes down to intersect him and he says, how did you know that I was waiting here? And then Kedarnath Babu essentially tells him the story of how he was at the ghats, you know, doing his morning rituals and suddenly Swami Pranabhananda comes to him and Swami Pranabhananda tells him that, you know, Bhagavati's son is waiting for you in my house, let's go together. And they walk together, both of them, Swami Pranabhananda and Kedarnath Babu, until Swami Pranabhananda kind of increases his speed and continues forward and says, I'll see you soon in my house and he just goes on. And so Yogananda is astounded. Um, here Swami Pranabhananda was sitting with him in the room all the time. You know, there's no way this guy escaped and slid out. And of course, this is the miracle where Pranabhananda was able to essentially generate a whole other body uh, to go out and uh, find Kedarnath Babu. Now, um, Yogananda is a little stupefied. And so Pranabhananda says, why are you stupefied at all this? The subtle unity of the phenomenal world is not hidden from true yogis. I instantly see and converse with my disciples in distant Calcutta. Now, 
in itself, you know, this is, oh, wow, and, you know, will I ever get a friend of ours who was reading the autobiography, she asked us, can you guys dematerialize like all those people? And, you know, <laughs> oh, no big deal. We do it all the time. You know, we had to burst her bubble and say, well, <laughs> not quite yet. But um, what's important for us here to see is this is what and this is how the saints are working with us all the time. So those of us who have, you know, a guru, a master that we tune into, really don't constantly be looking for their physical presence so much as know that there is nothing that can stop them from connecting with you. There is no reality they can't transverse to make themselves instantly present to you, to your consciousness, to your understanding. The thoughts that you receive every time they are elevated and inspired, believe me, they're not your thoughts. You know, they're being received by us, by these great ones, by these great souls, whether in the body or not. And it's helpful when we read books like this to just know that it doesn't mean that, oh, I have to be the one to break, you know, Maya's hold and I need to be generating two bodies. Well, right now, that's not where we are. And uh, to try to kind of pretend to be or want to be there, I don't think that's even helpful on the spiritual path. But what it is helpful to know is that, you know, these great masters, they can do whatever they want and they're there for me. Where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And so, know any time you think of them, any time you hold your thoughts up to them, that they're receiving your thoughts, that they're responding to your thoughts, and they're probably right there with you, even if you can't see them through physical eyes. Yogananda uh, told once to Swami Kriyananda, I know every thought you think. I mean, such is the consciousness, omnipresent consciousness that a master uh, has. So for many of us uh, disciples, it's so beautiful what the, he says here. I instantly see and can communicate with them constantly if I wish uh, so, so I think it's very important for many of us who are disciples or Yogananda or for some of you who have your own guru, always remember that don't wait at the end of the day to meditate or at the beginning of the day to meditate to communicate with your guru. I mean, that's a, a perfect time to do so. You are more receptive. Your mind is more calm. But throughout the day, they see you constantly. They are by your side. They are constantly guiding us, sending us the right thoughts, the right positive, you know, way of thinking. So it's up to us to open ourselves to that constant guidance. So even now you don't see Yogananda sitting next to you in the couch, or but he's there and he's eager to communicate with you. So it would be a good thing for us to practice, you know, rather than get so much caught up into the outward activity and matter, you know, just make this you know, his presence like an invisible friend that is constantly with us and, and just keep, keep reminding ourselves that they are constantly communicating with us.
if we then continue on to the next paragraph, Yogananda then says, Inasmuch as I was destined to undertake my divine search through one particular guru, Swami Sri Yukteswar, whom I had not yet met. So this was at a time he has not yet met his guru. I felt no inclination to accept Pranabhananda as my teacher. This is another very kind of subtle but very telling moment. Um, you know, I, I wonder if I was there, I'd be like, wow, this guy is so powerful, so amazing. And you know, our tendency would be, give me what you have. Like, I want what you have. Teach me. Oh, you know, I fall at your feet. You are so powerful. I was so easily impressed by the display of power of the miracle that the saint would have offered that I think any one of us would say, you know, I don't know who my guru is or what he is, but this guy can definitely give me what I want. And here Yogananda very, very clearly says, I felt no inclination to accept Pranabhananda as my teacher. He's not even found his guru yet. But he knew, no matter what this man has, no matter high, how high his consciousness is, no matter the fact that he is in fact probably uh, united in spirit with the divine, but he's not my guru. And throughout the book you will see, Yogananda meets so many saints, a friend of, another friend of ours who, you know, was contemplating taking Kriya, but had an issue with the concept of discipleship and didn't quite know what he wanted to do. He said, well, in the autobiography, Yogananda also goes to so many saints, so I don't see any reason for, you know, kind of uh, straight jacketing myself on just one person. And we said, well, if you really read the autobiography, you'll see Yogananda met many saints, but he didn't receive from anyone except from his guru. You see, he, he met saints to help us understand the different ways that we can express and manifest the divine, how uniquely every saint is able to draw on divine presence. So we never feel that God has only one way, only one form, only one expression. But oh, look at him. He can do this. He can do this. He can do this. Here he's extremely intellectual. Here he's extremely devotional. Here he's extremely serviceful. And you start to say, okay, God can be expressed in many different ways. But who's my guru out of this? And it's from my guru that I want to receive. And again and again, you will see this theme being kind of bombarded at us because it's very, very important. Swami Kriyananda emphasized so often, if you're looking for freedom, you cannot do it without a guru. It's just impossible. Now, if you're looking only for a little inspiration, if you're looking for, you know, just like, oh, what should I do next? Which job should I take? Sure, I'm sure, you know, even a good friend of yours could give you the right advice there. But if you're looking for freedom, you have to open bare your karma to one channel of the divine who then takes it all and lifts it all up and offers it to God on your behalf. And so make that relationship a little more sacred, a little more serious and don't get easily swayed by outward displays of power. That's um, the problem of knowing the exact same teachings. Yeah, we all will just kind of think exactly the same thing. And when he says that, oh, I was going to say that. Oops. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, I like very much uh, these little, you know, two, three words. I felt no inclination to accept Pranabhananda as my teacher. That I felt no inclination 
when we are truly looking for a guru our guru the one that god has chosen for us it's so beautiful how god himself guide us throughout this process by giving us the feeling or the intuition to realize this is my guru this is my path many people when they come to ananda or they come to the center and they find themselves very drawn to this path but they are doubting about committing themselves to the guru especially in this case to yogananda we trust so much that god is going to guide them and give them the right understanding and intuition to find out by themselves and this is the beauty of how really uh, our desire our sincere desire bring us closer and closer to our destined guru and i think something this is something for us to keep in mind don't don't be too restless or too preoccupied if you have not found yet your guru or you are still thinking about it trust that feeling and keep asking you know to the divine guide me to my guru and and let me know clearly once i'm in front of my guru he is my guru or that person is not my guru i really liked this this these words i felt no inclination like like the feeling is given to us by god to say you know not now or not this person is just so so we are so divinely guided all the time i think what really makes the difference is our sincerity how much do we really want to have a guru how much do we really want to be guided to be trained to be worked to do an inner work with our ego if that is a strong enough desire desire we will always always be guided to the right uh, guru the right spiritual teacher just in case you want haven't seen this is swami pranavananda that's his photograph and uh, now swami pranavananda is recounting to yogananda a story of his own guru and uh, he says i will tell you how priceless is a guru's help i used to meditate with another disciple for 8 hours every night i think we need to just pause here for a moment and say okay 8 hours every night now mind you this guy was working at that time this is not now i have nothing to do so i'm just going to be meditating 8 hours so first and foremost if you're wondering why you're not able to um <laughs> you know build another body for yourself or perhaps even <laughs> get up in the morning with great joy in your heart is because maybe perhaps just maybe those we're not minutes meditation <laughs> those those 25 30 minutes aren't quite cutting it but no nothing to worry about you know that there is 
a direction and these are the opportunities to say, oh yes, wait a minute, I need to do more, I want to do more. And people like Swami Pranabhananda will inspire in us that saying, oh, I, I must do more. So back to here, I used to meditate when, with another disciple for eight hours every night. For eight years, I persevered meditating half the night. I had wonderful results. Tremendous spiritual perceptions illumined my mind. But a little veil always remained between me and the infinite. Even with superhuman earnestness, I found the final irrevocable union to be denied me. One evening I paid a visit to Lahiri Mahashaya and pleaded for his divine intercession. My importunities continued during the entire night. Angelic Guru, my spiritual anguish is such that I can no longer bear my life without meeting the Great Beloved face to face. What can I do? You must meditate more profoundly. This is what his Guru says to him. And he says, I am appealing to thee, O God, my Master. I see thee materialized before me in the physical body. Bless me that I may perceive thee in thine infinite form. Lahiri Mahashaya extended his hand in a benign gesture. You may go now and meditate. I have interceded for you with Brahma. How sweet. Little things here for us to kind of pick on. Of course, the first fact is meditate longer. The other fact is for all of us who have meditated and have had, you know, fairly good experiences, deep experiences, moments of real bliss, moments of actual understanding. Yet, just like Swami Pranabhananda, that final union has been denied us. There's always a veil between us and the infinite. And he says, no matter how much superhuman my earnestness was, that remained. And that does remain which is another reason why the Guru is so important. And then, of course, he goes to his Guru. He's pleading to his Guru. His Guru first says, Why can't I Go meditate longer. You know, that in his humility, not trying to say that, of course, I, of course, I could give you whatever you want. No, no, you do it. It's your effort. The Guru is always encouraging us that you can do it. He never wants you to feel that, uh, you know, it's like one day my Guru will have pity on me. One day some magical moment will, you know, just arrive in my life. It's not that way. No, you can do it. What should I do? And only when the earnestness of the seeker is so clear, it is only then the Guru can actually help. It's not like he wants to withhold these experiences from us. It's just he can't even give us these experiences. We're, we wouldn't be able to accept them. We wouldn't be able to receive them. And Swami Pranavananda had to first really prepare himself before Lahiri Mahashaya could actually intercede. And then, as always, and he will always do this. You can always ask him for this. In your meditations, you must always ask the Guru, introduce me to God, show me your infinite form. And then they will, but in time, after we are ready, after we are prepared. It seems so easy just to sit in meditation and just ask your Guru, the Divine, just reveal to yourself to me. I love these two words. When he asks um, Lahiri Mahashaya, when he says, Angelic Guru, 
my spiritual anguish is such that I can no longer bear my life without meeting the great beloved face to face. I think this is the key, uh, the secret. I mean, are we really asking with that seal, seal? Zeal, yeah. with that seal, with that anguish, with that thirst to the divine to really to give us any experience, even a little taste of joy. I mean, we barely know how to ask these questions. We are asking the divine, yes, show yourself to me. But at the same time, we are thinking about what happened to us two days ago, about what I'm going to do for dinner tonight, what I'm going to wear tomorrow, what I'm going to tell to my in-laws. I mean, half of our energy, when we ask, I mean, even when we talk to other people, half of our energy is not with them 100%. And that's so easy to cooperate with. Imagine how much energy we should generate in our questions, in our requests to ask the divine to give us an experience, to give us a glimpse of his divinity and consciousness. I think we should start working more on developing that spiritual anguish. I mean, becoming so bored about life and about just dealing always with the same issues and always the ego wanted to, you know, rebel for this and for that. I mean, we should come to that point where life itself is just like, oh, no, again, let me just break through this cycle of Maya. And just shake the ether for our response. I, th I think that's really the motivation that we should have behind. Let's develop uh, an, such an intense desire to want to know God, to want to know His love, His joy, His peace, His wisdom, that He will have no other choice that just materialize himself to us but 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 let's let's make sure we are asking when we ask with that seal in our hearts well we have managed to traverse through this chapter and have landed on the next chapter chapter four now my interrupted flight toward the himalayas I, I must read the first sentence because it sets the tone. It's like this really exciting, enthusiastic moment for Yogananda. Leave your classroom on some trifling pretext and engage a hackney carriage. Stop in the lane where no one, where no one in my house can see you. So you can see this is the scheming of Yogananda's, which he does again and again throughout his life. I mean, he's just yearning what Narayani was talking about that spiritual anguish he can't bear anymore and he's just figuring out and trying to find out how can he break away from this mundane existence and and just go and give himself fully onto his spiritual search and find his guru that's what he's just waiting to do and 
again, it's just important for us to see how, how far are we willing to go in our own spiritual search. Because, you see, he then says, precautions were necessary as Ananta always exercised a vigilant eye. Yeah, you know, so he knows his family is like constantly on the lookout. The moment he'd step out of the house, he knows his family is wondering, is he, you know, trying to escape? Is he going? So they know their brother, their son really well. And in our own families, you know, nobody is kind of looking out for whether we'll escape to the Himalayas. But, you know, they're like, oh, you meditate too much. Oh, you're going to Sunday satsang. You know, you should be. And just, it doesn't take much. It takes a little bit of a tantrum from one of our uh, family members. It takes a little bit of a, you know, that well, I don't quite appreciate the fact that you're doing this. And that's it. And, you know, it's like, yeah, I've stopped going to the center. And I stopped coming for Sunday satsang because... You know, in my family, this, that, or I'm not meditating much now because... And we just have... It takes such a tiny little disharmony in our life. I mean, otherwise life is so disharmonious anyway. It's not like when we're not meditating, we're getting along with our family so splendidly. And it's only because I meditate and have a spiritual path that suddenly this chaos is created. No, just there's always disharmony. There's always chaos. Life is not going to work one way or the other. It's always going to be an effort. <laughs> whether you meditate, whether you don't. Yet, that's like the first thing. Or like, it's not even that. I mean, you have to understand what it takes. You have to understand how far are you willing to go, really in this search because if it's just going to be like yeah i'm not quite i don't quite enjoy this world so wouldn't it be nice if there was an alternative you just it's not going to get you anywhere you have to know that this alternative is not an alternative the way swamiji would say is until your spiritual life is not a matter of life and death which means it's not so serious that either you feel that you will die if you won't find god or there's no other point in living. I mean, that's the kind of seriousness that we have to generate. And Yogananda, from a very young age, you could see that fire burning within him. That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted. There was never a doubt. And so let's look at our own doubts. Let's look at our own life. Now, especially here we are, we're at home. How much of the day, uh, yesterday or was it yesterday that we were giving that interview? Yesterday. yesterday we were giving an interview with a uh, with another couple they you know they had some questions that other couples had asked them or women had asked them especially that they're unable to meditate or do anything because there's so much to do at the house you know the cooking and the cleaning and and that's it you know it's just like oh those things are so much more important and my meditations just you know hota hai to hota hai, nahi hota hai to nahi hota hai. and how are we going to change that how are we going to make it the other way that my spiritual life is the real life and then if the other things happen great and if they don't great and you'll realize when you give that emphasis to the spiritual life everything else actually happens far more easily than you ever have the effort that was involved before just starts to go away completely i like the fact that yogananda i mean mukunda had to hide uh, from his brother and you know um, buy costumes and you know do all these sorts of things in order to escape from his judgment and his criticism and trying to prevent him and excuse me if Mukunda already did that with his brother 
we can also do it with our families. I mean, in a good way, why not? If you need to hide yourself for half an hour, 20 minutes in your bedroom, do it. Really, I mean, if Yogananda did it, if he went as far as just creating this drama so his brother couldn't see him, we can do exactly the same. Be creative on how you are going to create a solid uh, spiritual lifestyle. I mean, this is death or life, life, or, life death. or death. I mean, as serious as that, as Shurjo was saying. So really be creative. If you cannot meditate morning and evening, between each activity, go to the bathroom. I'm going to the bathroom to take a shower. Close the bathroom, lock yourself in, and just sit for five minutes. And the other five minutes, you take a shower. So you don't lie. But in addition, you know, do those things that you can start introducing very creatively and very joyfully, um, you know, a spiritual um, spiritual lifestyle and practices. And I, I just love this concept of Yogananda trying to not fool in a bad way. We don't want to fool our families, but do whatever it takes in order to keep moving forward spiritually. So come up with your own ways to not allow anyone or anything to prevent you from growing spiritually or from building an inner life and practices that eventually will help you to go through the day and to deal with your family members as Yogananda had to deal with his own brother in a much more uplifting way. So there are no excuses, really. If anyone in your family is against you or is stopping you from meditating or even your own time, you think you don't have time, really we always find time to do those things that we like or that we know is going to benefit us. Some people don't know yet how much a five, 10 minutes meditation can change the course of their day. So give it a try and let us know how it works because it really does wonders. It makes the... It does wonders. It does wonders. You know, God sees all those little things. You running to the bathroom and meditating, sitting on the WC. And he really, really appreciates that. And it's those little things where he sees you going against all odds to try to make this a real a reality in your life and that counts much more than you having everything working out for you and being able to sit for six hours in one stretch to meditate because that's where real effort is being put out that's where you have to go against the world against the pulls of the world and that's very appreciated by the divine and the blessings that come from these tiny little you know games that you have to play to offer yourself to them to the divine uh, believe me, as Narayani said, it does wonders. So here we are, Yogananda is, you know, has his friend bring a carriage on the side. Gali mein vilkul, koi na dekhe. Um, at this time, they now live in Garpa Road, where currently, when if you've ever been to Calcutta and visited, that's the house that Yogananda then lived on with his family until he left for the United States. 
Um, then there's this little section here. I hastily tied. Now these are his, uh, you can say this is his packing that he's doing to take with him to the Himalayas. I hastily tied together a blanket, a pair of sandals, Lahiri Mahashaya's picture, a copy of the Bhagavad Gita, and a string of prayer beads, which is his mala, and two loin cloths. This is what he's carrying, you know. Doesn't get lighter than this, doesn't get, you know, more focused than this. All that I need is right here in this little bundle. A picture of my guru, he's not found his own guru yet. He so far is connecting to Lahiri Mahashaya because that's his family guru. Um, a Bhagavad Gita that he was going to, you know, obviously tune into. Blanket, loincloth, mala. That's it. You know, that's the simplicity of... I just don't need anything else. And in our own lives, it's it's just a nice opportunity to look around and say, you know, what around me is just, you know, useless. What around me that I never make use of has no real, you know, purpose in my life, but it just exists. And this little paragraph, these little lines just help us kind of narrow down our lives to what is the most essential. And I don't mean that our, our, your and my essentials are a mala and a loincloth and others. No, our essentials may be a little bit more, but it's still just what is really essential in my life. And it'll be a good practice every now and then to introspect on what is essential and see if you can kind of shave off some of those non-essentials because what comes with it is a great sense of freedom. And Every now and then you have to affirm freedom, not just in your mind that I want to be free, I want to be free. You actually have to affirm freedom as an act. Okay, this is not needed, this can be given away, this can be, you know, uh, offered to somebody else. And let me just keep bringing my life down just to the basics so that I don't create too many attachments, too many entanglements and uh, travel light through lifetime after lifetime. I was thinking with that image, especially for us ladies, when we go out uh, from the house, the kind of bags we carry it, and it seems like every day we keep adding things to that bag rather than removing things away. I mean, sometimes I go to the center with this, with the computer, with the hand sanitizer, with the poker, with the lipstick, with this, with the extra bindis, if one gets lost and this and, you know, and my bag gets just getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And I think that's the reverse process that Shurja was saying that we need to start becoming more conscious of. And I would say a good practice for all of us, especially ladies who go to office every day or we have we have or we have developed really the tendency and the thought that we need all those things to survive throughout the day yes some of them are essentials but most of them they are not so why don't we start training ourselves with you know perhaps every day you want to take one thing out from that bag. I remember when we first moved to our property in Pune and there was there were hardly any buildings or houses to live in and some of us for me personally I spent for six months living uh, in a tent. I only had three kurtas and one 
brush, you know, toothbrush and litter only one pair of sandals. And I remember I had hardly anything and it was one of the most um, blissful times of my life. I mean, my mind was so focused in what was really, really a priority for me then, which was to focus on my spiritual practices, on my attunement with my guru, or uh, going deep in the understanding of what's all about, in helping other people, and not be worried about what I had, but rather developing a consciousness that God was going to provide me with whatever I really need it. So why to be worried? I think this is a wonderful practice for all of us sooner or later to start working on. Like don't depend your security on material things. Give God a chance to show you, to prove you that he is indeed taking care of you. If you don't allow him to do that, you will never experience by yourself. So... Play with him and let him, you know, for him to show you how much he's really taking care of every little detail that that you you need. All right, the adventure continues. So Yogananda has dropped his bag from his uh, attic window onto the that alleyway, and he's now stepping out of his house as if yeah, I'm just going to the nearby shop. Look, I have nothing on me, so nobody suspects. And he runs around the back, gathers his stuff, gets into the carriage, and two of his friends are already in there, Amar and Jatinda. And so the three of them now go to a marketplace. It says over here, for months we have been saving our tiffin money. So, you know, you just see, see the effort that they've been putting behind this, saving their money. They go to a marketplace. They buy English clothes back then so they could disguise themselves as English boys. You know, they go and buy shoes because they don't have it for to be able to walk long periods. And then they get to the station, railway station. They buy their tickets. They get on the train and they're heading for Haridwar, then on to Rishikesh. And then their hope is then from there to the Himalayas. And so while they finally relax in their compartment in the train, uh, Yogananda says, just imagine we shall be initiated by the masters and experience the trance of cosmic consciousness. Our flesh will be charged with such magnetism that wild animals of the Himalayas will come tamely near us. Tigers will no more be no more than meek house cats awaiting our caresses. So they've come together and now the excitement of what lays before them. And you can see in these words of Yogananda, it's like when I first read the autobiography or when I first, anyone starts their spiritual journey, there's this moment of, wow, and I'm going to meditate and I'm just going to have these experiences. And I'll know everyone's thoughts and in like three weeks, I'll be probably experiencing Samadhi. So you see that romantic idea of, of the spiritual journey and you can already see Yogananda like, oh, imagine we're going to do this, then masters will come and they will initiate us and we'll experience this and these wild animals will come. Now, while Yogananda is building for what he thinks is this amazing thing, Jatinda, by the mention of the fact that there will be wild animals, suddenly realizes that they're actually stepping out into the wilderness. 
You see, until this point, it was all like, wow, we'll go to the Eid so much fun. The three of us will get out of our house. We will be free. We'll be going. We'll be meeting these saints. So in the beginning, all of us start our spiritual journey with this idea that, oh, wow, it'll be so la-di-da. Everything will be fixed. All my problems will go away. And so we're very enthusiastic about the spiritual path at that time. But then that romantic idea, it doesn't last too long. And suddenly you realize, wow, there's effort. And here Jatin realizes, huh, we're going to be in the wilderness. We're not going to have anybody around. There are going to be wild animals. <laughs> They're probably going to eat us. So reality hits him. Now, we are not going to have to worry about wild animals, at least not right now. Um, but on our spiritual journey, once that romantic ha ha he he wow 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 starts to kind of wane and reality hits us that wow well i meditated for six minutes and it was really hard and nothing happened and i'm gonna have to do this every day for a very long time uh, our desire to search for god really takes a huge hit in those moments and it is in those moments where the environment you have, your friends, satsang, which is so important. It's in those moments that sometimes we need to hold on to the inspiration of others much more and stay in that light, stay in that flow because the majority of the people, that's when, you know, in this lifetime, that's it. They'll still keep a romantic, mental, philosophical hope for spirituality. They like to read, they like to talk, but as far as actually wanting to experience God and doing, doing the work that is required, at that time, that stops for them. Swami Kriyananda tells this story that when he was 15 years old, he already had the concept and the vision of creating spiritual communities. And I mean, it was so deep in his heart. I mean, he knew sooner or later this dream would become a reality. So he had a group of friends. And when he shared that vision with his friends, Swamiji said, that everyone was so interested and so happy. Yeah, 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 let's do this, let's do that. And I will help with this, I will help with that. Then Swamiji says, until they realized I was really serious. Then everyone abandoned me. Like saying that, you know, once you really, the, the click happens and you start uh, perceiving that this is a commitment that is going to require a lot of your effort and time and sacrifice and tapasya. And I, I, I want to bring these concepts not in a negative way because eventually that tapasya becomes so joyful, that sacrifice becomes so willing and so wholeheartedly. So I'm not saying this in a negative connotation. I mean, eventually this becomes one of the most wonderful things you are doing for the divine for others for your spiritual path but that's the kind of commitment it's like a mother i mean when you have a child i mean that's forever you cannot exchange it you cannot one day wake up and say you know today i just don't feel like it i'm not going to cook or i'm not going to take him to school or i'm not going to uh, Take, help him to take his bath, whatever. I mean, once you say yes, once you take that responsibility as a mother 
or as a disciple or a spiritual seeker. I mean, that's really, you know, it's, it's important for us to realize that's what it takes. And not everyone's good karma to come to that point, but thank God we have books like this and we have, as Shurja was saying, environment and teachings that could help us if we are open to to keep developing that that commitment that eventually believe me that's the other thing we think that ah uh, you know i'm not ready to commit but sooner or later in this lifetime or in the next or if not in the next the following one you will need to make that commitment. I mean, it's, it's just, it's part of our evolution. We are always moving forward. And it's only a matter of time. So for some of us, will be still a few more hundred of lifetimes. And for others of you, will be maybe two or three more lifetimes. We are all, all of us moving in the same direction. It's only a matter of time. And that time is determined only by the time, by the kind of commitment that you put into the process. Okay, we're almost there. But let's just get to this last one thought that we'd like to leave you with. So, Jatin is scared. <laughs> I think Jatin's uh, romantic dreams are shattered. And so the next stop when the train stops Jatin disappears. <laughs> Jatin says, let's divide up the money equally right now. So he's already, he's already planning his escape. And so in the next, uh, when they're about to board the train again, Amar and uh, Mukunda don't find Jatin anywhere. And Mukunda starts kind of panicking a little bit. And he says, Amar, we must return home. I was weeping like a child. He was a child. <laughs> Jatinda's callous departure is an ill omen. This trip is doomed to failure. And Amar says, Is this your love for the Lord? Can't you stand the little test of a treacherous companion? Now, this is an interesting thing here. Now, obviously, you'd, you'd think Yogananda would be the one to say, Wait, no matter what, I'm going to go ahead. Here, in fact, it is Amar who is saying, what are you talking about? Itna thoda sa ho gaya this is what we were talking about before. But to me, this brings an interesting um, kind of perspective because there's one question a lot of us ask again and again. It's like, how do I know God's will? If he places obstacles before me, is it that he wants me not to go in that direction? Or is it that he wants me to put out more energy to break through those obstacles? And this is exactly that moment here. Yogananda is feeling in his attunement, he's feeling this is not a good omen. I think we should return home. This trip is doomed to fail. On the other hand, Amar says, Bhai, itna hi. You know, this is your love for God. Thoda sa treacherous, thoda sa confusion and you're already wanting to give up. So, in our own lives, moments will come where we will have to be much more attuned. At certain times, we'll have to say, I have to go beyond this treacherous companion and I have to put out effort against the obstacle that has been placed before me. And at other times, you'll have to be sensitive and say, wait a minute, is this, why, is this God kind of asking me not to put too much energy in this direction? Is he redirecting me somewhere else? Is this a sign for me to pay attention to? And Yogananda here is not giving us any clear, this is how it is and this is what I feel. 
he's essentially just creating the dilemma for us which is a dilemma we probably face every day if not you know often enough is that what is god really trying to tell me through obstacles through tests through problems is he guiding me in one direction or is he asking me to put out more will and this is something um, you will have to tune into you will have to feel but know always that at each moment there is a unique response and at certain times one is applicable and at other times the other